pros before we start? No, I'm good. We'll just go with the flow. Perfect. Excellent. So how did you end up where you are, Steph? I think that's probably the most interesting question myself and there are a few is like, how are you in the Chinese National Training Center with these athletes? Yeah, well, the China government probably five, six years ago decided to just outfit their whole squads with foreign experts. So at one point, they got a company to hire people and they just were like, we need lots of foreigners. And I think they hired like over a hundred foreign experts at one time and they just flooded the gates into China. But uh, the the way in which they hired was kind of crazy. Like I got my information from a Facebook ad in another country that my friend saw and that she applied for um, that didn't actually relate at all to manual therapy or physical therapy or Cairo or anything like that. It was more about uh, strength and conditioning. And she's like, she's just like, ah, I'll just message them, see if this is going to work out. She messaged like, actually, we need manual therapists. And then she told me, and then I was like, that sounds like a great idea. Um, when I applied, I was originally applying for track and field China. Uh, um, they said I was all good to go. And then, but, uh, yeah, the, the interview process was weird is basically like, could you legally come to China? Was it good? All right. And then once you're here, that's when they screened us and figured out who would stay, who would not make it. Okay. So like they just threw us under fire and then coaches would ask you stuff. And then you'd be like, it basically how you responded to the culture and the environment, if you could withstand how they want things then they didn't fire you. And then, so of the 100, 150 people that are here, I think there's like 15 of us left that have okay. made it past the round. So um, it was just a, a slow burn off of like, we don't like you, we don't like you, we're just like, you, you guys are doing good work. Okay, you guys are sticking around. And so now on the national teams, like on the weightlifting team itself, there are four, four of us. Um, I'm in a special case. I'm actually in a unique situation, but there's... a the ones that are there are very good um, and they do a really cool, really good job with the team. Um, so it's a, it's a, yeah, it's, it, but how that actually happened, it was pure luck because it's just a random Facebook ad. Like they didn't know how to market it to properly vetted experts and it's like that. So it was like, there are some students that applied. Um, there's actually some people who didn't even have a degree that like got their way in, but they got figured it out pretty quickly by the fact they couldn't do anything. So, yeah, yeah. So, trial by fire. So, Steph, one of the most interesting kind of aspects of this for me and for us, kind of looking from the outside, is how those interactions go between. So, firstly, you as a foreigner, but then you as a kind of therapist or physical therapist with the athletes, and then your interactions with their strength and conditioning coaches, their weightlifting coaches, the doctors. How those kind of interactions go down? Well. uh so it all depends on the scenario. So for example, for me, I'm in charge of the Guangxi province program. So I am responsible for 35 teams, about 1200 athletes. Um, where, so I manage a staff of about 30 doctors, um, that take care of all the others. And then I kind of sit at a position where I teach the other doctors how to do Western medicine or Western techniques. Um, so in that environment, it's pretty cool because everyone has a lot of respect. So 
there's a lot of interaction. If we go to the national teams where, so I consult with, uh, three national teams. When I go there, then it's like a tight knit community. Like when you go into the door, they know if you're not part of that team, like everyone that is part of the weightlifting team is like, they know who everyone is and they see each other every day. They live in the same building. Um, you basically are like a family, like you're all together, you live together, you eat together, you train together. And so, um, the interactions is less professional. It's not like, oh, I want a meeting with you. It's more like you're literally just hanging out and you chat with the person as best as you can. And then you, you're just talking and you basically live out of the training hall. Um, for the foreigners, we have one translator that deals with all the foreigners that, on the weightlifting team. And he does an awesome job. Like the guy's so chill. He doesn't like weightlifting whatsoever. So he doesn't care about like people talking shop. And he's just like, just tell me what you want me to say. That's all I want to do, which is perfect because then it, there's no opinion. He just, he translates what you want to say and you communicate through him. But most of us have kind of picked up how to communicate non-verbally or with basic Chinese about what we need to do. And so the, that's the main communication part. The, the interaction, like, so with each squad on the weightlifting team, there's the head coach. The head coach will have an assistant coach. There'll be, well, depending on the team, there might be two to four team doctors that work there. And then some will have a strength and conditioning coach. Others won't. And then each squad will have one foreign expert with them, usually a physical therapy or chiropractic background. And they all work together at the squad and basically everyone's in charge of just their squad. So a squad of four, four athletes, like that's basically what one of the therapists will be in charge of. And each athlete will basically have their own team doctor. And then of that squad, there'll be like a head team doctor who's been there forever. Like some of the guys that like coach you squad, the team doctor has been there for 18 years. Like he's made, Jesus, he's been around forever. Like he, he just has seen all iterations of these weightlifting champions. So he, he's, he's seen a lot. And Steph, in the case where you're saying like a foreign expert will nearly always be like physical therapists, manual therapists, chiropractor, are the team doctors like medical doctors as in MD, or is it kind of a, a variation of some sort of physio or physical therapist and the medical doctor? Good question. Cause that took me a while to figure out. Um, doctor is a sign is the word they use if you help some. So okay. if you're a massage therapist, they'll still call you a doctor most of the time. But, uh, on the national teams, there's at least one medical doctor per like guys and girls or usually per squad not each squad has a medical doctor um the rest are typically like massage therapists the way the way i like to look at it is what their job is recovery like what china does that's incredible is their recovery game is above and beyond anyone else but not because of technology because they have a team doctor that helps you pre post in the evenings whenever you need help they're there and their job is to massage, act you, cup, modalities, stretch you out, give you exercises. They do kind of like everything. Um, and they build 
like basically a really tight knit like relationship with that person and they figure out they know what to do for that athlete specifically so that's kind of their role as a doctor it's actually very interesting you don't we really don't see that over here where you get like just a one person to help that one athlete warm up all the time like most of the time any teams you deal with you get a physical therapist or a physiotherapist run off their feet for every warm-up or every training session, you know, trying to make sure everyone's strapped up and ready to go. Steph, what... So before we get into the specifics of those kind of modalities, which I think would be very interesting, what made the Chinese government want to outsource some of this knowledge initially? Because, you know, five or six years ago, or only 2016, 2017, China were obviously still doing very well in all of their sports. So what made them want to kind of go in this particular direction? I don't know exactly why. Uh, one of the reasons we believe is they're really good at copying people. And what's a better way than just bring in people, watch them do things, let them teach, like let us teach um, local doctors what we're doing, let them copy and see what's working. And then basically that's what notices when I go to a team. So say like I go and I work with gymnastics that all the doctors are surrounding me watching and they're like, all right, what is he doing? And then they ask me a bunch of questions. And if I go back there a week or two weeks later, they're basically copying exactly what I did. Go back a month later, they're doing something that used to look like what I'm doing, but not quite anymore. Uh, so it's a lot of just like, I think they're just trying to copy different techniques and they're seeing what works. And if you, if you give China anything as they will, stand for things that they don't think works for them like if it as soon as they're like ah this is not working for us they'll just get rid of it and they'll be like let's find something else and they'll build and then the ones that do work they just kind of okay this worked we're gonna keep doing that forever so i know there's a lot of people listening and their kind of ears pricked up at some of those modalities like cupping needling what's uh what what's kind of commonly seen there what do you use or what do you think is the most kind of effect of one of those in terms of just let's say pure recovery after a session or what's kind of something that you see being used a lot in China especially the national teams uh, well once you go to lower levels provincial levels you don't have to save support but national teams because you have so much more staff basically any athlete that wants like a stepping massage after training so that's where they'll lay down the floor they have these big mats they stand in the the jerk escape like um, rigs and so the therapist is holding on to it um, or they're using sticks for balance and then they just step on the muscles just this kind of repetitive stepping motion and it's basically like someone doing foam rolling for you and they just step through each muscle they step until they feel like the muscle relaxes and they move on some of the athletes do that for like 40 minutes others will do 10 minutes so depending on the size of the athlete like you get some of the bigger girls that they're there for a while and they're just working their way through. And so they'll do that. And that's one of their go-tos like across multiple sports. And it works awesome. If you ever actually have like a Chinese athlete do a proper stepping massage on you, it feels actually quite amazing. Um, it's intense when you get it done. Like you feel like you might die, especially when if they do upper back, like you're like, I don't think I can breathe. I don't think this is normal. And then you're panicking a little bit, but if you can calm down through that, then you're like, okay. Then afterwards, you're like, well, like my muscles that I just did, 
like if I did a heavy clean session with cleans and snatches, like your quads get like this really intense soreness if you're actually pushing it. And then afterwards, like immediately after stepping, I'm like, my quads don't hurt anymore. So that's one of their big ones. The, the other thing to understand with their schedule is because everyone lives together, post-training, they get their like stepping massage or some stretching um, after dinner. That's when they get the real treatments. And then that's when they get like hour to three hour treatments by the hour doctors. Yeah. Yeah. Depending on what's going on, like, and, and even if, if I see someone, I'm like, man, you don't need a lot of treatment. Like you're fine. There's nothing wrong. Like you feel tight, but that's fine. You're training. Like there's nothing that needs to be ripped apart or, or stabbed. And then you'll do a little bit and they're like, yeah, I get it. I feel good. You'll leave the next person you look over again. And then they just got another doctor to do more of the stuff because they're like, well, I'm not here long enough, which is yeah, kind of fun. The, on the specifics of that stepping massage, do you think that can be replicated by something like a, an EMS or, you know, some of those kind of power dot related products? Do you think that's something that was take the same mechanism or do you think there needs to be kind of specific force or pressure on certain points or is it purely muscular contractions or mechanical force when when I've had it done I feel like an NMES doesn't do anything like it I, I recommend a lot of NMES with my younger athletes so when i work with the provincial level because we don't have enough staff we'll use a lot of normatec and compax type nm yes um just to get the blood flowing get that that element but there is something about a compressive force that does have a better effect so like with the reviews about recovery modalities they did show massage compression have a good effect on the effect of doms the next day and weightlifters, they don't want DOMS. Like, like they never want to feel DOMS. So they 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 want you to just make that into a mashed potato, and then so that the next day they feel fresh. So the, the NMES will have lots of benefits, but I don't think it's equivalent. Perhaps if you do a combo of like do some foam rolling, or if you get some of the more aggressive like pain pills. Um, the like the metal tools that have a lot of weight in them and then roll yourself out that way or use a barbell. Maybe some of those could mimic some of the stepping. But the stepping ha- also has a pumping effect because you're stepping on and off. So it's not this constant pressure. It's actually, it's not this terrible like ripping through. It's just this like, they, they just work at it until it starts softening. So it's a lot more gentle. So it, it, it's hard. it's hard to say, but I don't think it would be the same. What, what do you think causes that tightness post-exercise, post-training, so that immediate kind of shortened position or contraction, or uh, in your opinion, or what do you think is kind of contributing to that, that that, that massage is working through theoretically? Uh, you, you, there's a lot of factors to that. So like there's the calcium ion channel fatigue that they've shown where basically after lots of motor unit recruitment, the, the ion channels, they get fatigued is not they don't get tired but their efficiency gets reduced significantly so then things getting pushed around and getting that blood flow is going to be helpful there's going to be a lymphatic effect which is going to be good Um, but then you're going to get changes the Golgi tendon organs and muscle spindles where 
having that compression is going to have a neurologic effect of getting things to relax. So there's a lot of mechanisms as to why words. If, if anything, what I've learned in China is instead of trying to figure out exactly why it works, just figure out what works and then use that. That I think it brings up a really interesting point in like there's, you clearly have a, a kind of hierarchy or a system where information from experts like you kind of settles down through maybe it starts up the national team and it settles down through some of the provincial teams. Is there a direct kind of system for them delineating that information or, or kind of sorting out that information and then noting it down for the next Olympic quad or noting it down for next year? Or is it very much kind of this institutional knowledge that's there now and that would be passed on to the next lot and then passed on after that? Oh, that's a good question. It was actually, it was a pet peeve of mine. I was working with one coach. The guy was awesome. Like literally every idea I ever brought up, he's like, yeah, I do that already. It's like, he was just he was killing it. I was like, okay, so like, where do you have this information? He's like, well, I don't have it anywhere. I just like, I just know when to do it. But what about the next guy? Like, how is he learning? He's like, well, if he's not working with me, then he has to figure it out himself. Okay. Yeah, but the the thing with the team is like say you take the national team the coaches there they're all linked to a province so uh, once your athlete does really well and you're at the province level you the, the athlete gets brought to the national team you as a coach will also get brought to the national team there there's just a lot available um and then that coach is still part of the province so once they retire from the national team or they don't want to be on the national team anymore, they go back to their province. So anything they would have learned on the national level, they bring back. So we have that in our province, Guangxi, where um, Zhang Huihua's old coach used to be on the national team. She has a family and home. Like She didn't see her for a while. So she, she wanted to come back. She wanted to work on developing the new athletes for the next cycle. And when she came back, like, our Guangxi female team like turned into the national team. Like before it was, it, it wasn't bad before, but then it just like became clockwork. And then the, the level of like effort like, went up skyrocket. And then all like some of the best lifters are going to come out of the females, especially are going to come out of Guangxi because they, they're just, the numbers they're putting up are insane. And they're 16, 17 year olds and they're not even like, no one knows who they are yet. And they're still, they're lifting. I would say close to, if not more than what you'll see at Worlds. Crazy. So when we think of okay, from the outside, <clears throat> we like the Chinese system and then it's kind of implied that the Chinese system is the same everywhere. But do you see much differences in the coaching mythology from one province to the next province? Is everybody on the same page once you get to the national center? Like how does that kind of differentiate? Actually, it's quite different. Uh, everyone works well together because it is a hierarchy. So once boss says do something, they'll do it. But when it comes to coaching, you'll each coach does what whatever they think is best for their team. So even on the national team, if you look at the different male squads, each coach does something basically whatever they think is best. But they'll have a general schedule. But they'll, it'll change. Like sometimes, so they'll do like a, their heavy squats and presses two days a week. But then one coach will decide, I want to do a snatch before I do this, or I want it, and they'll they'll switch it up. And like there's, they can do that if they want. 
uh, at the national level because these athletes all basically have medals they can they just it's like what do you think works better for you and then they actually work with the athletes to figure out like because so even within that squad each athlete how they train is actually very individual like Tian Tao next to Giga Chad like and like they're just they're not they're kind of doing the same thing but they are doing their own thing so like because like Juan Hua he's gaining weight so he his programs could look different but it's still basically the same structure as just obviously yes Tian Tao's not trying to gain weight like Juan Hua so their training is going to look different but that's the same squad they're from two um two different provinces so when they showed up on the team they would have been trained completely different but then once on their on the national team they're under coach you coach you is going to give them like what he thinks is best but he's going to adapt it to the athletes steph just one other aspect of that that i think over here when i say over here in the west we have this kind of general idea of the chinese system and a massive part of that chinese system is what's been reported on as being a huge talent identification program like talent id starting from three four five years old is a lot of that like kind of misinformed uh kind of interpretations of what happens or are there actually these large provincial or national level talent id systems uh talent id they have it's not fancy the the talent id it's like jump please like jump do a frog jump and they look at how they jump do they have if they have really good triple extension habits they're like all right i like you then they look at okay are you tall lanky do you have really long legs okay i might not want you do you have nice short stumpy legs all right you are definitely who i want for weightlifting and it's not like super fancy but they do do it um basically anyone that is rural who or showed like they want to do sports they'll go and join these sports schools and these sports schools are huge like think university dormitories plus whatever sport facility you're training for so if it's if it's a wrestling they'll have a massive like wrestling arena they'll have multiple towers apartment buildings and then that's their school and they just live and train all in that area and so the city i'm in i think our program has four different like high schools like these build-up schools with at least a thousand if not more athletes in each one uh weightlifting for example when they look at hiring people looking for recruiting to the provincial level they're looking at over a thousand athletes they're picking the top 100 that they like out of that 100 they go to the provincial base that provincial base is very like very high level training there those guys are going to national games going to international competitions for their promises sometimes and out of that group whoever wins at a certain level of competition then gets sent to the national team so it's not that they're so good at identifying the perfect athlete it's just for the 20 guys that you see on the national team imagine each guy comes from a different province that might be close to math is hard for me like a thousand athletes that they picked from 
to get to that. And that thousand athletes came from another like 20,000. Like it, it's just exponential, the amount of people they can pick from. And then they can just, they just wash through. So in the provincial level, it's really ruthless. Everyone shows up depending on how they perform. Like they cut basically half within a year and then you keep going. But the problem is the school is really hard in China. And so these kids are training full-time, but also doing school-ish. And so if they don't make it through the system, they're kind of in a shitty position because they had shitty education and they get sent back to a, to a normal school. So they, so most of them, like once they go in, they, they try their best to make it because otherwise it's really hard. It's a hard life. It, it reminds me of the UL Romero, the UFC fighters. He came from Cuba and he was on the wrestling team and he talked about different kind of grades of elite and, you know, intermediate kind of like your proficiency and the best wrestlers got the best food and the best beds. And, you know, that's super hard. There's no way of replicating that kind of Darwinian competitiveness in smaller, you know, if you're in Europe, realistically, if you're on the German national team, you know, it's not going to be cutthroat no matter how much you love weightlifting. What is the kind of demeanor among those elite athletes when you get to the top, you know, with Giga Chad, with Lee Dayin, with the the kind of elite team? Are UL Romero kind of, for example, comes across as super confident, but seems quite nice, seems quite humble in some ways. Is it, what is their kind of demeanor? Are they under pressure all the time? Are they professionals, you know? Yeah, the, their demeanor is awesome, to be honest, like unbelievably humble. Like they don't, they don't really see what, like the way they present themselves, they don't really see what they're doing as something special. Like they don't see as like, oh, I'm, I'm amazing. You should worship me. Like most of the time they don't even want to talk weightlifting. Like they just want to talk about anime or video games. Like they, they just want to do other things. And so they're really chill. Like Lee Dayan is hilarious. He's a jokester. Like he likes pulling pranks and stuff. Um, same to Tiantao, obviously, but he, like they, they're chill. Like, and, uh, the girl squad, I would say the girls are more competitive because they just have so many people that could win right now that it's, it's a little bit of a competition between the squads cause they, they got to figure out who they're going to send. But on the guy's side, it's definitely chill. Like it's, it's very, it's very calm, but you also have the element of they don't have as much freedom where like, they don't go to their families at night. Like they, they still live there. So as much as they're chill, they're also a little on the kind of boring side like they don't have like these exciting lives except for weightlifting so for us it's awesome because we're all like you guys are the best you guys are killing it but for them they just want to see other stuff like they they won't want to be entertained if anything so Steph I think it's at that time now where we have to ask the magic question about Chinese weightlifting and that is what's the story with the squat jerk are they fully bought in are they not fully bought in what's the genesis of it for them well, so, cause I get to see them at the provincial level as well. I would say it's like half of them squat jerk, half of them split jerk. And it's really the base off of what felt good for them. And because so many start lifting so early and they have such a focus on, you need the mobility before you load it. 
like they do at least a year with just a dowel when they're younger. Like they don't, they don't necessarily load up until they have the positions down packed. They do a lot of calisthenic type drills instead. And because they all have that mobility, they, they can kind of just all do it. Um, but it's very rare unless if you get to the heavyweights, like, and then once they get older, I would say probably all of them could do a squat jerk if they wanted to. Um, they could, like, it's not like a hard thing for them to, for them, it's just more timing what, what they feel they can be faster under or stronger. So like, obviously like you'll see like when Tiantel does it, like he, sometimes he just powers it. Like, it's just like, well, I can just be so strong in this position. I just power it. I don't have to be fast. Like, I don't want to be super, super fast where some of this nice split jerks, like some of the split jerks you're seeing at worlds right now, like they're so beautiful and they're so crisp and like they, they just, cause they, and that split jerk gives you that speed. Whereas the squat jerk's a little bit slower, but if you can have that mobility for it, you're so much stronger because you're pushing off both legs. So I, th- I, it, I see both at the early levels and they switch it, like depending on like what hurts and stuff, they might switch it around too. When do you come in in terms of, let's say, mm-hmm. a, a coach, I don't know, trying to take an example here, where the athlete, can't quite hit a position. Say they're not injured. Um, there's nothing wrong, but they're they're lacking maybe some thoracic extension for a squat jerk, for example. Does the coach say they try their own method and then they're like, Steph, can you help me here? Or is it constantly you're looking at that alley, say when you're in the national team, for example, or the, the highest level, when do you step in or how are you kind of recruited to address particular problems? So... It would depend on the coach. Each coach has their own coach's eye, what they're looking for, what they seem is okay versus not okay. Generally, if it's affecting their performance at all, or they're like, I can't get, like, these athletes are so body aware. Like, when they say, like, I go up, and it's like, I just don't feel like this is right. And they'll they'll just be like, this isn't right. And the coach will be like, every time you're doing it, it's not right they'll start trying to figure out things. So when it comes to rehab, their knowledge is very low. Um, Like they don't think. So an example is like I had some guys where when they go overhead, their elbows would kept like breaking down. And the coach would say it's because their core is not strong enough. It's like their core is weak. And I was like, why do you think the core is weak? And he's like, well, when they're pulling, their ribs are flaring up a lot. Their lumbar is extending, and then they can't kick overheads because the core is weak. And I was like, "Well, they're just doing that because they don't have enough mobility in the shoulder. Like they 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 don't have the lat length or the the ability to get into that range." And the, the coach is like, "Yeah, of course, right. If the core is strong enough, then the shoulder can move all the way." So like the way they look at it is going to be different. But what we end up doing as a modality and training implement might actually be quite similar so that coach for example we prescribe barbell rollouts but a shoulder focus so like in a push-up um like 40 kilos on the bar roll out that position go to where they control and then just hold it and just get them to like what we call quasi centrics like kind of like hold it and then hold 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 and then once the person's like i want to give up then just let them like control the slow out until they kind of like go bottom out 
And then because that's such a core focus, but at the same time, you're getting tons of time under tension to work on the mobility overhead. Both of us are right. So like I saw it as a mobility issue. He saw it as a core strength issue. We both wanted to fix it. And in that case, we, we also always want to fix it more on the platform than somewhere else. Cause if you talk to anyone who does weightlifting or powerlifting, like that training is already tiring and to, to, to and do like a whole extra 30 minutes of extra rehab or extra training on top of that. And like most athletes are kind of like, I'm done. I don't want to do that. They, the coaches and I will, will generally be like, all right, let's see what we can do with known accessories that you, that the coaches use. So that, and that's where, what weightlifting accessories for It's like, they're supposed to target weak links and stuff. So we try to maximize that. And then if that's not working, that's when they really use the foreign experts. The foreign experts will do, will do a lot of treatment to get them in that position. But then we'll also, usually we get like two 30 minute blocks a week where we can do some specific rehab work. Um, but if they're injured, we get way more time, but typically like an hour total a week is what volume we have. So we're much better off getting them to fix it in their weightlifting training. Have you, that actually kind of relates a bit to how do you feel about their love of bodybuilding exercises or well, as weight exercises were called them, bodybuilding exercises, kind of joint specific, single joint or, you know, very small joint exercises for hypertrophy. Is that something you're indifferent about? Are you like, okay, this is super useful for them or what's your kind of feelings on that? Because it is one of the most notable aspects of the Chinese national team, certainly on the men's side anyway. Yeah, I, I love it. I think, I think there's a lot of benefit in building a mind muscle connection where they know how to feel certain muscles and they'll, they'll talk about it when they do weightlifting, they'll say like, I can't feel this area working as much as I want. And so then they'll do drills to like, kind of just hit, get the feeling in that joint that they want. So say if they, their lats not working very well, they'll, they'll do their lat pull downs, try to get their lat, get that feeling in the lat before. But my issue is that it's it's kind of always the same so they're always doing the same bodybuilding like and it's not prescribed for a weakness necessarily so if you if i do want to change it then it's a lot of i don't change that this is what i do it's like this is this is my this is what i do i have a record you don't have a record this is what i'm gonna do guys so it, it gets a little challenging that they're they figured out what works for them when they're winning. And then if they do get hurt, then they, they have, they're reluctant to change that, all that bodybuilding stuff, but the bodybuilding stuff has a huge role in, in kind of protecting your body because they can tolerate some really high level work. And it, it's almost like recovery for them. Like it's, it's not that much damage to your body doing that bodybuilder trading you can still get a lot of muscle activation. So it's, it's actually a way for them to like deload their bodies by doing that bodybuilding versus just doing more weightlifting accessories, which might wear them out a lot more. So it gives them that ability to feel good, get the, the muscles fully fatigued to failure so that it adapts, but then not get the whole of weightlifting. So Steph, obviously there's individuals like you out there experts in your field obviously they're really looking at physical therapy they're looking at acupuncture coughing 
uh, they're using bodybuilding exercises. What's their kind of focus on nutrition? Like, do they work with nutritionists or is it just very much what's being served in the food hall they eat or is it kind of more scientific than that? So food halls are fully controlled. Um, it's a good thing because the food quality outside, like, I don't know if you've heard, like, because of the amount of stuff they put in some of the pork here, that the drug testing standards for Chinese are different than other countries because you couldn't live here without higher levels of certain substance. So the Chinese canteens don't have any of that. It's it's like properly sourced or they try to. It's not 100%. They source everything so and then they are trying to make it usually a little bit more calorie dense, a lot more oils and stuff. But the athletes have full control of like what they want to eat. And the way they do things is very like basic. So imagine you eat at the canteen your whole life. You know how much you need to eat to maintain your weight. I need to gain muscle. All right, I'm going to have a second plate of the meat stuff that I like. Um, I need to cut weight. All right, I'm not having any of the rice or the breads this time. Like that's basically how they do their diets. It's very basic. Like this is why I like eating add if I want to gain, cut if I want to lose weight. And then there's not really any thinking about macronutrients or anything like that. They, the sports science, they do have some sports scientists that try to get them to drink certain drinks like carbohydrate drinks or electrolyte drinks during heavy training loads. But half the time the, the team, like they put it in their drink, they go like, oh, okay. They drink it and they pour it out somewhere else because they don't like it. They won't actually even take it. Um, half the guys drink tea. They have have a, a tea making set up at each squad and then they make whatever tea they like to drink and then that's that's kind of their secret secret nutrition they drink a lot of tea that's that was going to be my next kind of lead on from that is there's other like maybe their misconceptions there's other stories of the chinese athletes using kind of different chinese medicines or like over-the-counter supplements like there's always that thing about horny goat weed being used by Chinese athletes. Is there anything like along those lines that they are actually habitually using or is there anything we mightn't have heard of before that's very popular over there? Honestly, most of them hate taking anything extra. If they, if they can't get it to canteen, they're, they're unlikely to be taking anything extra. Um, also, I have to just like, when it comes to Chinese medicine, they do have all their like traditional Chinese medicine version of things. Like if you have pain, they have like patches for things. They do something called a medicine wash, which is like basically a steam tea of, of stuff that is anti-inflammatory. And then you go into like a sauna and then you have a bucket of that tea and you pour it over the joint that hurts. Then you do that for like 20 minutes. And it's kind of cool. Like I actually am a big fan because it's like a, it's a, you get the sauna benefits because it's this boiling hot room. It's wet everywhere. You're pouring this hot tea stuff all over your joints. So just for blood flow, it's great. Um, but for, for like them taking stuff, I, I haven't seen any of them really want to take a lot of stuff. With the caveat, of course, I'm a foreign expert and I, if there was anything, they probably wouldn't tell me. Um, yeah. So I'm usually because locals I've been on podcast talking about stuff, so it's likely to show me anything. 
I think uh, on the nutrition side of things, so Lee Wanhua or uh, Giga Chat, as he's effectively known, moved up in weight class and quite significantly. He was an 89, now he's a, a 102 at Worlds. Was there anything in that process that was quite interesting? You know, because we were only looking at him today and he's still peeled. He's still got visible abs as a 102, which even for elite weightlifters isn't very common for 102s, you know? Yeah, he's... Well, he's... Uh, he's he's a he's a good soul. Right? He's a very good soul. But I remember when he started like gaining, because I was I was working with him and I was like, man, you got, like I really wish you weren't doing this. This is so much more work for me. <laughs> I was like, you're so it's so much more work to move you around because like when he was eighty nine, like he was like he was Superman. Like he was he was like like pretty much exactly what like a body type you probably want. And then now he gets so big. I was like, man, this is. Like taking me an extra thirty minutes to do what I was doing before, and my thumbs are hurting now. I've got like arthritis in my elbows because of this. But he, uh, yeah, he, he, he's like, I hate being big. Like he's, he's always like, man, that's like it's so much nicer being smaller. It's like, it's like I, I he just keeps grabbing his fat. Just, just so much fat. I just wanted to be muscle at all. Me, uh, but, he, but like I said uh, earlier, was. He basically eats an extra plate of food. He, for the accessory work, like weightlifting accessories, he do he does more sets. Like they they know volume leads to more muscle, so their training plan is basically the same. But then he ups the sets. He adds three to four sets of the accessory exercises. He'll get two to three more sets of squats in before he switches the lift. Like it'd be basically, he just ups his volume during that build stage, so he's a lot more tired. So then people like me have to work harder. And help him recover so he, he can feel better about it. But yeah, like uh, that bulking, and he's he's not there yet. Uh, like you can see, it. he's at Worlds. It's not a secret, so like you could tell he's not quite at the one hundred two level. But I, I wouldn't be surprised if he still has this strong visible abs at one hundred two because I, I don't think he he would tolerate not having it. Did did he encounter any problems that were unexpected, or did he find you know hitting a certain position was difficult, and you were like okay? Your shoulders are too big to get the bar behind, you know, and it does sound silly, but sometimes you do see lifters' mobility suffer as they get heavier and rack positions deteriorate. Um, you know, some things improve, of course, like lower body control and proprioception gets a bit better at weights, but did any kind of unique problems pop up or anything that posed difficulty for you or a bit of uh, maybe abstract thinking yeah. to try to fix it? Generally, when it comes to a lifter who's gaining weight is... Anything that's felt a little bit compressed before. So if you had like a, a shoulder that was a little jammy or if your low back gets a little bit tight after like heavy pulls, when you gain that weight, that compressed feeling feels worse. Like at the bigger you are, there is more compression. And especially if you're getting bigger muscle-wise, like there's just so much more power that's going to compress that area. So anything that was like kind of small, like became a lot more. So we have to... But we know that. So we know that as you gain weight, you're going to feel more compression. So we do a lot more decompressive type drills. So a lot more traction drills. Full range of motion is always promoted because once you gain weight, the leverages change. And if you don't work on maintaining that range, you could lose it very easily. So he's working lots of long range of motion stuff. We're decompressing his low back, his hips, his knees. Even if there's not a problem, you're preemptively doing drills to work on that. So decompressive, like 
you can do hanging stuff, but like, uh, like everyone loves like a little reverse hyper. They don't use a lot of reverse hyper stuff, but like that's like that type of drill where there's a little bit more of a traction to the joint as you load it. It's going to feel better on the tread. So for the shoulders, there's pull-ups are going to be more comfortable because it, the, that distraction of the shoulder ends up being good for them. Um, so we use a lot more of that. So luckily, because I'm, I'm not a big guy, but not in the good way. I'm a big guy. So when I, when I've gained like quite a bit of weight for lifting. And so I know that kind of personally. So when that, when he told me he was gaining weight, I was like, all right, instantly I was like, we're decompressing the shit out of your body. Cause I was like, you're just gonna feel beat up. And then every time I saw him, he's like, man, you're right. It's like, this is, this is hard being heavy. Like, like we're uh, doing a treatment on the seventh floor. And then he's like, man, I can't, can't climb seventh floor. Like I'm waiting for this elevator. And I ain't going up those stairs. I was like, yeah. it's elevator all day for him now. Can't afford those calories. So, Steph, were you a weightlifter yourself before going to China? I, I know you said you wanted to work with the track and field athletes, but did you have a kind of toe in the weightlifting world? Uh, I was a very small one. Uh, my introduction is I, I learned from uh, Dr. Trevor Cottrell in Canada. He, he helps promote a lot of weightlifting at local levels. And so I, I learned from him that did my, um, NCCP. So the national coaching certification in Canada. So I, I got that, um, when I started as training. So I started in strength and conditioning. I was working with some NHL players and some, um, and some like power sport athletes. And so I was just learning as passion. So I did that as my primary workout. though, cause I thought I was the most fun type of training you could do is like intellectual training. And my wife did com competitions for a while uh, at a lo local level, but so she got into it. So we, we were kind of in the local weightlifting world quite a bit, um, but I never like got into like full out of coaching. I'm no, I'm no athlete. Like I played basketball growing up, but that's about it. So the, my experience was always kind of on the sidelines because I, I was always more in like the medical side of things. So I was always like helping people and like as coach, I think I was always trying to fix things more than be the person like to actually push the weight themselves. So Steph, the, your particular style of, um, rehab, prehab, mobility, whatever you want to call the kind of particular profession you're in now, you know, that this particular thing you do or what you kind of encompass just wasn't something that was there 10 or 15 years ago in the sense it is now, because yeah, there was physios and chiropractors, uh, you know, in the late, in the 2000s, et cetera, but they were almost exclusively restricted to my elbow hurts or I've torn a meniscus or something, and then it's rehab. But you're like in this niche where I wouldn't call you a strength and conditioning coach or something a bit more specific almost. How did you end up doing what you're doing, you know, because it's such a specific thing. Uh, it's such a it's invaluable to athletes like the, and it's so limited in the availability for people who can do what you can do, you know, and your stuff is, isn't drastically different to what was there 10, 15 years ago. If you look at that kind of Kelly Starrett kind of thing, but you've, you've certainly applied an evolution to it. If you look to your Instagram, a lot of your stuff is very, very interesting. How did you kind of arrive at where you are now and arrive at your particular methodologies? Yep. Yeah, the 
the field has changed quite a bit. I think those who are focused on what is working are going to lead the way. And I would say most of us that are in, in the world where it's like, this works, this doesn't work. Or most times we say, we have no idea what works. We're just trying our best not to die. Um, we're, we're trying to figure out what is going to help these athletes or normal people for that matter. And I was very fortunate. So my background was in track and fields. My, the first guy that I learned from, he was a sports Cairo in Canada. Cairo in Canada is a little bit different. Um, Canada went whole, like we need research about everything. So the Cairo world, there's much more evidence-based. Like the school is like produces more research about manual therapy than most schools out there. And, um, this, there's a sports program that you can take there that I took and the guy that I learned from, he works with track and field. And what he did was he looked at people's runs. He worked with coaches and he was like, it's like, I can make your athletes faster if we optimize more how you move. And so I learned from him about like how to work with an athlete while they're performing. So the track and field world is amazing for this. They, they, this is their like secret weapon because it's such high power velocity things. It's you're so close to the edge all the time when you're training. So any little bit of efficiency that you give the person, the better. So treatment wise, I learned from him how to do that, how to maximize that. But the problem is, is that if I'm just focusing only on treatment, then I can only affect one person at a time. And that's not really helping a lot of people because I'm, I'm lazy. I'm not going to work with that many people. So we're, we're trying to do is we're trying to, how can I influence more people, how to help more people so that they can do it themselves. So Kelly Starro is big on that. Like why get someone to do it when you could do it yourself. And so I started learning just through like strength and conditioning, like Olympic lifting probably was my start. It's like when I do this training, some of the stuff that I was treating is getting better anyways. And, um, I would say my work with, uh, there's a Dr. Tian Tang who worked with team Jamaica track and fields. Uh, so I worked with him in Toronto and he, he was basically their guy whenever they flew to North America, they would go see him take care of him. So like I got to see Johan Blake, uh, Shalane Fraser Price, Boltz, all of them. So we got to work with them when we dated competitions. And the, t- the Jamaican coaches well opened my eyes if like they were like literally prescribing exercises to fix problems. So instead of just doing like, this is sprint training, this is like therapy. They're like, you worked on this muscle. Let me work on it in training and see if we can make it better. And they're the ones that kind of like started teaching me. It's like, you can actually fix these problems through training. And then, then the treatment is just tune-ups and then you're like really fixing everything in your training and then save so much time. So it's, it's through that track and field world that I started working and then figuring out how to apply it to strength sports was actually kind of hard because the dynamics of it is very different. Like with weightlifting, it's a little bit closer because it is so much power and there is an element of like force and relaxation and then stiffness, but squatting is not that squatting is like high tension force through your whole body all the time. So how do you fix like a traditional like hip shift through exercise when you have a mobility issue, when you're used to lifting like 10,000 pounds a workout, 
like like my little TheraBand exercise or my thumb can't mim- can't counteract a thousand pounds of load through that hip. So figuring out how to get them to fix it themselves through their lifting is what we know is creates a longer uh, longer long term adaptation, which eventually gets rid of the problem completely. So it was just a it was just an element of figuring out what actually led to long term changes and training. It's like that is what training research is: is how long do you need to make muscle in this area? How long do you need to be stronger? Rehab is the same thing. If I'm looking at your shoulder and you're limited overhead, what what tissues are limiting? What tissues maybe need to be longer? What maybe maybe need to be stronger? Maybe it's the timing of the muscles. Or it could just be that you're just not strong enough or you don't spend enough time overhead. Like half the people who have trouble being t- spending time overhead or in deep squats because they don't spend time there. So if you just do training in those areas that actually might fix the problem versus like saying, oh, you can't go overhead, so you shouldn't train there. Also, that doesn't work with athletes. If you sell them, don't train. That makes them want to train. Usually makes them go and see someone else. Yeah. Uh, so Steph, We've seen on your Instagram, you're the founder of Dynamis or Dynamis. Uh, is that kind of a, a way of disseminating some of this information or a way of kind of cataloging and making this available for more people or what's the idea behind it? Yeah, that's a that's something I made in China with a, a friend here, Alex, who he owns, at the time he owned four CrossFit gyms. And he was looking to help people kind of the same idea because gyms here, there aren't a lot like training is a new, is it, is an infancy in China. So like, we're just, China's just learning about bodybuilding. Like people are just learning about like doing that kind of stuff. So it was just my way to like help some locals out being like, I'll give you information. I'll give you courses. So I've, I've made a bunch of courses for China. And by a bunch, I mean a lot. <laughs> I basically created a whole physical therapy program online here so that people can learn how to do treatments. And because a lot of the doctors, like I met someone who had an ankle sprain with a little tiny bone bruise. And then the doctor said, you know what we should do? We should cut out bone from your hip, from your iliac compress. We're going to put it in where that little, little bone bruise there is. And then we'll fuse that ankle so that that won't cause you any problem anymore. What the fuck? Oh. And I was just like, what? What just happened? Wait, why is this happening? And luckily, the, the lady was coming to visit one of the doctors I was working with. And he's like, yeah, you hear, like, this is what they're wanting to do. It's like, I just gave her a lidocaine shot so that she can forget that it hurts for a while and that she's fine. Yeah. That is crazy. I don't know why you need a bone. So, yeah, we, and we've had even like with our elite athletes, they, do some surgeries that are just like, why did you do that? But it's, uh, yeah, unfortunate. And I don't think it's a China thing only. I think that's kind of everywhere. There's a lot of misconception about what, how to deal with injuries. A lot of times we, we go too far too quickly. Sometimes you can just train through it. I mean, most of the time you can just train through it. That's how most people stay active. <laughs> yeah. Nobody in the, the biggest lie or one of the biggest lies is that in elite sport or high level sport or if you're doing a sport a lot is uh, the assumption that you're just going to be pain free and 
the problem is a deviation from the norm, but in reality, pain-free training is the, the deviation from normal training, you know. And uh, we see this in, like, jiu-jitsu. It's like people are always hurt, and then they, they get super concerned that they're hurt and their knees are sore. And then it's, it's like they'll divert and spend loads of time strength training, and then their jiu-jitsu will get worse. And then they're like, ah, oh, my jiu-jitsu's worse. Strength training's not worth anything. And it's like, could we, like, we need to be more educated in this kind of yeah particular thing, but bit of a, a deviation but yeah pain pain is the norm in training that's fighting those fires pain and painkillers are the two the two the two uh, mainstays in professional sport in my experience yeah it's a I always say it's like when I when I used to work in private practice and I'd work more with general pop and because I'd be working with track and field and they'd be like man I can't believe like they can do that and we'd have the like the athletes like we had some of the Canadian track guys next to regular people. And that was the best experience because they'd be like, man, I can't believe you can do that. Or they'll see how hurt they are. And like, they're like, oh yeah, I can't. I, like, I, they couldn't even like lift their arm over their head and they're still sprinting 10.8 second, uh, 100 meters. And the people are like, man, how, like, how are you doing that? It's like, um, this is normal. It's like, this is what we deal with. Regular people are like, oh, I always thought you guys had ne- never had pain. Yeah. Oh, it's only pain. <laughs> yeah. I remember an underage coach who's saying, and he used to say this in a way where you'd be like, oh, that's a really insightful thing. And be like the difference, an athlete understands the difference between the feeling of being injured and the feeling of being sore. But in fact, he was just saying that to us on a regular basis, saying you're not fucking injured, just go and train. Yeah. Uh, it, it also reminds me of Stan Everything used to talk. Uh, he didn't really, and we've had Stan on the podcast, so this is the shot at Stan, of course. He's a very nice guy, but he's talked about things you do for yourself are better than things done for you. But I think there's an, always a caveat to that, that if you can be in the Chinese national team and have a personal doctor or physio or masseuse or whatever doing that for you every day, that is almost certainly going to be as useful, if not more useful or very complimentary to the things you can do for yourself, you know, if you, if you could have a physical masseuse 20 minutes before and 40 minutes after, you're going to get some very positive effects. Steph, thank you so much. This has uh, been awesome. Super insightful. I know people are going to love this. Yeah. Um, Where couldn't people find you or what's the best or what do you, do you have places you want people to go or is it just, what's, uh, what's the actually? Yeah, I, I'm not a big, uh, kind of social media guy the the only thing I use is Instagram Dr. Steph Performance and uh, yeah because I've just been focusing on my work here so and anything you do in China doesn't really escape the rest of the world so yes do you do online consultations or anything like that or could people book a treatment to you online if they need it or is that something that's available or Uh, not right now no, right now. I, I used to do it over the pandemic, but uh, because of the work I do here and I've got a new family, I, I've put down the back burner until, until I come back to the Western world. Nice. Great. Steph, hopefully we'll be in contact with you over the next few months and maybe we'll even bump into you over in Paris, which would be great. Uh, but thanks again for your time. We're, we're massively appreciative of it. Thanks, Steph. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. That was great, Steph. Thank you so much. That was very, very interesting. Yeah. Um, There's some really interesting stuff there on the Chinese system. Yeah. That I don't think people know, you know. Yeah. And and it's a, it's a tough 
home because a lot of times people are like afraid to talk about things. And then like, like the biggest thing that was, that always drives me nuts is any of the comments on my Instagram is always going to be about like drug use and stuff. And, and honestly, I've not seen a single indication that it's a common practice. But once again, like I said, I'm a foreign expert. They would never be that obvious, but the room I stay in at the national base is their doping testing apartment. Like I literally like they're testing constantly to make sure like they, they, they're internal, like the Chinata, they're always doing their testing. And I'm always like, like there's a lot of testing guys. I was like, it's, it's like, it's keeping me up at night. Cause they're like, they're doing it till like midnight and stuff. Jesus. Yeah. 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 So it's interesting. There's a lot, there's, there's so much here that only like a communist, like space sponsored program could do. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah. Well, the question though, I always ask myself is like, how could you get the same benefits with a smaller program? Uh, I, I just can't see, work. I couldn't see like the, having thousands of athletes and filtering them really aggressively and having that competitive environment and then having a personal doctor. Like we were in Korea recently and they were the best setup we've ever seen of all the countries and and it sounds like they're still not lagging behind but they're on a different template almost to what the Chinese system sounds like definitely a completely different template in terms of that kind of personalization of care or the consistency of personalized care you know like they had they were brutal yeah like they had 26 senior athletes on the national team I think there was four physios, three physios. Yeah, and like two S&C staff. Yeah. You know, versus 26. Oh, man. Uh, but the super enthusiastic. Very, yeah. very, uh, everyone's working out the same page in some regard, but some of the athletes were doing their own programmings very specifically. And was, uh, let's see, they're, they're all individuals, so they all, but they'll all lose their place really quickly, you know, and like it's kind of a cutthroat. Like if you don't perform, you're off. You could be off in one season kind of thing if you don't do well at nationals, but then you're really well compensated. Like if you win nationals, they're paid. Like I think the the average wage or something was for the national team was like a hundred thousand dollars or euro equivalent a year, which for weightlifters outside of most countries is monumental, you know. So they are rewarded. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, yeah. So it's uh, yeah, it's certainly very interesting. Did it, yeah, they make money off the medals, so like. Actually, there's one thing that they do that I think is awesome, but there, there's a level of corruption behind all this. So like, not always as good as it sounds, but if you take, for example, one of the guys on the national team, every coach that has worked with them to get them competition wins, so all the way down to their like city level, they all get a bonus when he wins at the Olympics. Oh, no way. Really? Oh, that's actually really good. Really really yeah. They support everyone through the whole chain. Um, it's not like life-changing money, but it's still like, it's nice. It's like, okay, when this guy, like when Tian Tao wins or Huan Pua wins, everyone that's helped them along the way gets a little bonus from it. So it's, it's a nice, a nice touch. That is really the end. You don't see that anywhere else. You see it in um, professional soccer players' contracts where they'll have like, every time their contract's rewritten. Mm-hmm every club gets a kickback. So if Cristiano Ronaldo sold for 85 million, yeah, like his club, when he was in Portugal, will get a kickback even though that's four clubs ago. But that's that's only in terms of how their contracts are written, you know. Mm-hmm. That's nice. That, that, 
it's, it's nice to support the like because that's the problem of law it's the early stages that lead to success but the, it's the less rewarding stage yeah so they don't get the they don't get the love often yeah um steph a wooden question for you would you be interested in doing you know the way they talk about the elbow and this elbow not uh doing what it wants to do would you have any interest in uh like a, a video or two kind of series or something because People are always asking me how I fix it because I haven't been able to fix it yet, but I, I do talk in my training vlogs and stuff, uh, but I, I might document the stuff and it'd be a good way if people, if you, I don't know if you particularly care, but a lot more people would find out about you if that was something you wanted to to address from my art point of view. Yeah. I'd be, I'd be happy to, to try, to try figure it out. The elbow is, it's a fascinating one to me because it's actually annoyingly difficult. You're telling me, like, <laughs> like, why, why, why can't you just do this? Yeah, just do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be down. I'd be down because it's it's thing that I'm still. I don't have the. I'm not a template yet. Like I don't like I don't go like oh this injury do you do this but, um typically there's like these like key movements that will fix a general area and then mm. like kind of like a weight like squat is going to help a lot of issues and elbow that i haven't I've, I've always had to be very customized with elbow like like some elbows respond well to mobs other like require like really finicky weird ass looking exercises that like no one would want anyone else to see it's like uh, i'm just gonna do this privately and then and then uh other times it's like you just stretch and then it fixes it um, so depending on what is actually going on here, oh, well, I looked at your videos quickly. Um, it looks like you do have some capsular issues. So, which is likely from the, the, the grappling aspects of things. Yeah. Um, but there's, there's lots of cool training for grappling, um, that, that we do. Cause, cause I work with wrestling, judo and taekwondo as well. So I, I deal with grapplers all the time. Um, they don't have jujitsu in China. Okay. They, they do, they do Chinese boxing, which is like Sanda, which is kind of like a really aggressive kickboxing, really fun, um, like flying knees and elbows type stuff. It kind of like, it's very close to Thai, Thai, Thai boxing, I guess. Um, but those guys, like their elbows, is like one of the main ones. Like I have, I have a few judo athletes who were when we took the X-rays, they have like six bone chips in their elbows, uh, and and they're still like they're like, I, they're their complaint is I need to be able to bring it here. And yeah. Now when I grab them, like I can't get here, and so I lose. It's like oh, I need six bone stabbing you and nerve pain. That doesn't but no, 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 no. Yeah, I just want my my overhead back. Yeah, yeah, or not get iron barred so easily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd be happy to. Is it, okay, I figured out how to set that up. Uh, Perfect. Because it, it, it is interesting. Like I, I definitely am. I'm still interested because I won't be in China forever. Like I'll, I'll probably leave even in a year or two. Um, currently the plan is to stay for the Olympics and then see the next time is China National Games in 2025. So National Games here is like, I think they say is double the attendance of the Olympics, like in terms of athletes. It's this massive thing. Like, so think of all the Chinese weightlifters that are here. They all get to compete. Yeah. They all compete each other and they get, they get a lot of money. So this like, 
there was a coach that literally goes, all right, I need you to try harder. I need you to train for this Olympics as if it's the national games. <laughs> and then, oh my God, that's like crazy. That's mad. Yeah, so so I, I'm, I'm tempted to stay for that um, because it's supposed to be amazing. And I was here for the last one post during COVID. So then everything was like, it's kind of not yeah. fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Steph, thanks so much for this. In terms of this podcast, it's probably going to be around three or four weeks. So basically the next season of podcasts, they're going to be released like in in sequence. Um, So we'll let you know when it's coming out. We'll, we'll, we can even send it to you beforehand, but to be, I don't think there's going to be any, there'll be no editing or sometimes people say things that need to be cut out halfway through, but I think we're all, we're all good on that end. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep. And I'll, um, we'll figure the video out. I'll, I'll figure out how to piece it together. I'll, try, I'll document stuff and we'll, um, we'll make a, a good video because it, it is something people, a lot of people ask about is the the elbow when I I never we never really had the issue before but when I started talking about my own like this side is not perfect but it's near enough as good as it used to be but this side then just lost like the last very important 10 degrees so uh, and people would always check in they're like did you fix that yet I'm like nope (laughs) no I did not Um, so yeah I think it'd be be very interesting and it'd be a good way of kind of getting yourself out there because I do uh, I was uh, I was doing the the tricep extension you know, the contractions, so the kind of PNF stuff, then with the tricep extensions for the bringing my grip in closer in the back squat. And it's, uh, you know, very productive and it's very similar to a lot of the stuff we've worked with before that have been beneficial. So, uh, I would be keen on showing people the, the, not the newest way of doing things, but the kind of the, it's kind of the newest way of doing things. Yeah. Those are the most, certainly the most unseen way of doing things. Yeah. Yeah. Which is crazy to me because like in my, like in the, the group that I'm around, it's kind of like common practice, like a little bit, but, um, like the guys, I, I got really lucky, like who I ended up going to school with, like my, my one friend, he, he's like one of head researchers for major league baseball because his research was like so useful. And so, and then another guy basically does research for a lot of like manual therapy companies um on the side because he's just that kind of guy who could just figure shit out so i've just been around these people that are smarter than me and i just try to to apply it um it's hard like i don't it's i think it's it's a lot of a lot of benefit i had from being here is because i could keep it simple it's china doesn't understand complicated so like here you have to keep things nice and simple focus on basics if yeah if i have to say five words then it's too many words like it's 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 one cue one word type of coaching here so it's well mostly because my chinese isn't that great <laughs> it yeah uh, but yeah if anything we'll we'll do we, we should do like a little call so i can actually get like the history and um get you to explain things and then i'll explain why i do certain tests and stuff yeah. and then can that'd be yeah. Unreal. yeah that'd be that would be Perfect. That would be exactly what would be the most useful video for sure. Absolutely. Thanks very much, Steph. Thanks, Steph. I hope it's not crazy late for you, but uh, no, we're, we're really appreciative. Thanks, yeah, Steph. Perfect timing. Yep. Yeah. Um, we'll start out that call and uh, we'll we'll get moving whenever you're when you have a chance. Thanks, Steph. Enjoy your night. Nice. That'll rain on. You too. Cheers.